you know, as a parent, sometimes do I always like my kids? No. I mean, sometimes <laughs> they're kind of annoying, but it's hard, man. <laughs> you know, and, and right. with that, I can't remember what I was thinking when you were asking one of the questions, but I just love, too, that I get to walk alongside other people's kids mm-hmm. because other people are doing that for my kids. Welcome to Hallway Conversations. We're a trio of educators who have plenty of questions about teaching and learning and school culture, and we believe in the value of reflection and collaboration as we seek to keep growing as teachers. This podcast is our place for thinking out loud together about issues in education and why they might matter to Christian educators. Welcome to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 86th episode of Hallway Conversations. My name is Matt Beamers. I'm Abby DeGroat. And I'm Dave Mulder. Friends, we're always looking for topics of conversation and feedback, so please email us or send us a recording of your question to hallwayconvospod at gmail.com. That's hallwayconvospod at gmail.com. We're looking for relevant and timely ideas, so please let us know if you have a show topic ruminating around in your head. Dave and Abby were recording this in February, and last time we met, we reflected on the February doldrums. We shared some personal stories and potential strategies for parents and teachers on how to survive the shortest but longest month ever. And most importantly, we learned that cold beef can prevent ice from melting. That's right, baby. Which was my big takeaway from the February doldrums. Well, we aren't necessarily going to continue talking about February doldrums. We want to build a little on that today and talk a little bit about young people and mental health And so we invited our friend, Dr. Tara Bohr, to join us. Friends, some of you might listen to this with your teacher hat on, others with a friend hat on, others as a parent, and others might just be reflecting on on your own journey. Tara, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. A few things about Tara. Tara spent the last 15 years serving children and families as a practicing social worker and licensed therapist. She currently teaches social work students at Dort University and finds it important to share the many ways that her professional and personal experiences can shape the way we love, serve, and experience God's goodness in a broken world. Mm-hmm. She is well-loved and supported by her husband, Scott, and together they're raising four spirited children. <laughs> I love I will, that description. <laughs> very, very good word. I will add to that that Tara is highly respected and highly regarded by our students, faculty, and the larger community. Mm-hmm. Tara speaks to a variety of audiences, and we encourage encourage you to consider inviting her to come and speak to your community, as she enjoys spending time in the community sharing knowledge, skills, and best practices about trauma, mental health issues, and family problems. Examples of past community and organization speaking, as well as educational presentations, speaking about trauma-informed care, neurobiology of trauma and brain science, child sexual abuse and sexual assault, joy, shame, and vulnerability, and children's mental health and evidence-based interventions for case. We'll ask Tara about her website a little later in the show, but you can find more information about her and her work at drterabor.com. That's drterabor.com. And Dave will leave a link in the show notes where you can access it there. Tara, first of all, thanks for being here. It's really good. I know you have a busy schedule, um, but just thanks for sharing some of your expertise with our audience. Tara, I just want to start by, I spent some time reading through your website yesterday, and it's very well put together, and it's authentic and vulnerable, and there's so much I appreciate about it. But as I read it, I want to be honest and said and say that I, I found myself experiencing two emotions going through your website. Um, I felt, first of all, somewhat overwhelmed by the intensity of the topics that you talk about um, and that you deal with in, in your work. And I also felt immense gratitude that you are willing to do the work because I feel like you do the work 
on behalf of the community. So I, I, I felt this intensity and deep, deep gratitude. And as I reflected on those emotions, I found myself wondering, what, what drew you to a work that, to work that you knew would be so intense? Um, and what sustains you in that? I, I guess maybe another way is like, why do such hard things <laughs> when you can do almost anything else? And I don't say that facetiously. Like, like what draws you to that? Can you, can you just talk about that a bit? Yeah, I think um, as a child, I had just a great amount of empathy for people naturally. Mm. Um, and that was just part of my personality. And I also grew up in a home where, yeah, there was some fighting. I had divorced parents and grew up in a, in a you know, small Christian school mm-hmm. and felt, you know what, I'm the only kid in my whole school that has divorced mm-hmm. parents. Now, certainly that probably wasn't true. Mm-hmm. Um, it might have it been, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it felt very isolating at the time. Yeah. But God really did a good work in me during that time, um, strengthening just my resolve and my character um, and just put a beautiful amount of people around me to support me um, during that time and, and was really shielded and protected from from that particular adversity. And so, you know, moving forward, I had great role models of people who were also in social work. Mm-hmm. I remember my cousin, Amy uh, Kayahi. She's now a director of a nonprofit here in town, Atlas of Sioux Center. And she told me, I work um, as a social worker. I get paid to help people. <laughs> and I thought, mm-hmm. that sounds awesome. <laughs> and so I really never looked back after that. And, and it's been just a fun, uh, rewarding a career. Tara, what sort of... Is it, the, is it the helping people that sustains you? Because like I said, you're dealing with such intense topics. And yeah, so what, I don't know, how do you enter into that? Or what allows you to sort of have, yeah, to, to do that good work, important work? Yeah, I think I always say we get to see people get well, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. we get to be a part of that that journey with them, that, that they trust us. And we have that privilege of hearing their story and, and walking alongside them during some of the harder times of their life. And and so I always say that it, it does suck sometimes and it's hard. And, you know, I get sad, too, and, and certainly affected by the work and actually be concerned if, if we weren't. Um, but um, but, yeah, we get to see them get well. We get to facilitate change at all levels and help other people help them, too. And, and so that's what's energizing. I think um, that's what's sustaining about it. Yeah. On my so when I was a kid and I would complain about very simple things, I can remember my mom or dad muttering that kids today had it so easy. Hmm. And it used to drive me crazy. And now on my really bad and grumpy days, I find myself muttering kids today have it so easy. Hmm. And I know that's not, and I know that's not true. So Hmm. I kind of kick myself when, when I mutter that, can you just give some insight um, from your work what does make life hard for kids today? Um, and what what, is, what can we do as adults to make it less hard, if I can say that? Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think it's a different easy and it's a different hard mm. than what <laughs> generations had to deal with long ago. You know, as far as physical labor, long days, and, you know, worrying about the farm and just things mm-hmm. that our kids just largely don't have to worry about. Yeah, but instead, right. they're... They're worrying about, you know, what college they're going to freshman year of high school. And they're worrying about the activities that they're in and if they're going to make the team and how good their peers are doing at things. And 
and and of course we can't not mention social media right mm-hmm. and and that is the the grand question that I get asked all the time is it social media and and largely the literature says social media is both risky and protective in mm-hmm. um, in, in different scenarios and so yeah it's it's a you know sometimes an over involvement it's parents trying to stay afloat and pay the bills in yeah. today's world mm-hmm. and yeah. it's 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 just it's so layered in so many yeah. ways it's really hard to identify why mm-hmm. it's so hard for them um, but it certainly is yeah. they really are struggling largely as a group and and um, they really do need us I think to to lead them well. Yeah. Did you see anything reported? I just read a news blurb a while ago about. Um, there's a new study out about young women in America that was groundbreakingly sad, right? Mm-hmm. Saying that they are doing not well. And yeah. so that, you know, with two daughters, mm-hmm. that weighs heavily on me as well. Do you feel like there are different populations mm-hmm. for which things are harder or easier? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Anecdotally, I really do see all the ages come to life at different times. It just yeah. really it really mm-hmm. depends on their life experience. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if they're experiencing trauma or stress at certain times. Yeah. Um, are certain groups more resilient than others? I, You know, I don't really know that either. Mm-hmm. It just seems there's situations that cause people to, to really be able to mm-hmm. be resilient, and other times there's just real suffering. So, mm-hmm. but I would say, you know, if you would talk about young women, um, you know, anxiety tends to hit them higher mm-hmm. and more yeah. frequently, especially as they enter young adulthood. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Terry, you, we get asked about social media a lot. I think we feel it as parents. We feel it as, as professors. Um, you talked about social media being used in the language of it's both risky and protective. Can you just speak to that a little bit? What what you, what you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's risky to um, be exposed to the world's mm-hmm. hurt and pain at every, every level. I was watching um, a Christian author who said, you know, we really weren't created to be exposed to all of this all at once, all the time. You know, it wasn't God's really intent that we get to know about every problem at every element of the earth. Right. And so, um, you know, and then the social aspect of connecting and comparing and sizing yourself up against others has shown to have really negative effects on self-image and confidence and comfortability in their own skin. Um, But also it provides a a neat opportunity for people to connect and build relationships, which is some of the most neurobiologically foundational parts of healing and wholeness is community. And so those aspects of it can be incredibly redeeming, you know, both for Mm -hmm. the older population as well as children. And so with the right boundaries and respect for media, I think it can be done well. It just isn't always naturally that way. Well, that's one of my big wonders around social media, too, is just that idea of, like, how how do we put better boundaries in place? Uh And, I mean, I'm an ed tech guy, and I love social media for my own um, professional work and and things like that. But I've thought that more times, right? Man, to put that in the hands of a 13-year-old, you hand them a phone, and the whole world is open to them, and then they're so encouraged and nudged by the way the technology works to keep sharing more and more. And it's like, unless we are really wise about walking alongside kids um, in that. I think that's that's hard. So do you see that in the work that you do too? Like what are some maybe success success strategies that parents or teachers could have for how do you walk alongside kids well? Yeah. 
Well, I think um, in terms of uh, social media, they're obviously rewarded by the interaction itself, right? Yeah, and right. so they need other elements to have that, mm-hmm. that dopamine and that... Um, that levels of good hormones, real relationships. Life interaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So their brains really need to be molded in a very holistic way. So certainly yeah. the boundaries we put in place. Yes, this is a, you know, chemically really rewarding activity for you to engage in this behavior. So also are, you know, empathy and gratitude mm-hmm. activities and, mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know, crossing things off your list and competing in sports mm-hmm. and, and all those exercise things. And, yeah, mm-hmm. exercise and all those good things are great things to balance. So, um, yeah, I think, um, yeah, that's really all I'm going to say about no, that. That's great. No, Tara, one of the things, like, when, when I talk to parents or I talk to teachers, you know, you mentioned earlier, hey, like, anxiety is a real thing for, for many of our students. So, so we suspect or even assume that many of our students struggle with anxiety or trauma. But on the other hand, we aren't sure. Like, we just, mm. you know, we, we see them. Um, what are, what are some things that as teachers or even as parents we can sort of pay attention to that might be signs of anxiety or, sure. or trauma? Like, is there in? Yeah, because like I said, I I never want to assume that students do struggle with anxiety, but sure. I also don't want to be like, well, they seem fine, so yeah. they must they must be fine. So mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it is important I think to be able to discern between stress, which is relatively healthy and adaptive, that we have a fair amount of stress. If we didn't have stress, we wouldn't get out of our bed in the mornings, neither would our kids. If they didn't have the stress of a spelling test, they wouldn't study for it. And so there are, you know, adaptive elements to stress. So when we move into that anxiety category, it's really when our stress doesn't, like, turn off once the event is over. So we take that spelling test, and we remain really hypervigilant, really you know, um, aroused, our body just won't calm down. And so, um, you know, what you'll be looking for in your kids are, you'll, you'll have the pleasers, so the ones that do everything perfectly all the time and cross, you know, off everything on their list, yeah. tick every box, and you're thinking, the, this student is the best, mm-hmm. right? Because because they are. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I because, did not describe me. You know, I, I was not that kid. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, they are your favorites because they're doing awesome. And yeah. they listen. And they're they nod. Easy. And they, yeah. they're easy. Mm. But, you know, uh, sometimes under that layer is like, but if I don't, then what? And it's mm-hmm. just that dread. Um, so then you yeah. have the, that group. But then you have, like, the overstimulated group that has, yeah, just constantly stimulated by activity, by relationships, by people. Um, lights and noises that that can point to a sensory issue which leads to anxiety mm-hmm. sometimes in your younger children in any type in terms of trauma if they're you know feeling inattentive they're kind of going off in their own little world we call that dissociating sometimes they're sleepy because they're not sleeping very well at night those mm-hmm. types of things they'll say I'm really tired although my seven-year-old just told me mom I'm so so tired this morning mm-hmm. um, and so one day mm-hmm. he said he was actually sick so we get the call you know from school that he's oh, sick well yeah. we don't want you puking everywhere well then we get him home and he says no actually I just really tired and I wanted to go home <laughs> and I said so no wonder why your teachers have such a hard time yeah. knowing what to do these kids they really lie to you I mean they, oh. she brought, he brought his teacher to the front office and she oh. had he had her convinced you know I'm really sick so relatable yeah, totally relatable yeah. I just want to go home and take a nap. I know. Too bad we can't do that anywhere. Anyways, those kids are hard on themselves. You know, they can be really critical Mm -hmm. of themselves and and not really have a lot of grace for themselves or others. And really, there's that externalizing group. So then you have the group that 
everything ticks them off. Everybody's saying things that are against them. Um, you'll hear an event, you'll have three people talk about it, but the one kid that talks about it is a completely different story, and mm-hmm. that is their reality. They really did perceive oh, that yeah. that event played yeah. out as they saw it, right? Yeah. And that's really because trauma um, has the capacity, anxiety has the capacity to really change our filter of how we experience mm-hmm. the world right. and relationships. Mm-hmm. And um, and that, yeah, I mean, so you say you don't know, but you do you know, most of the time, I think people do kind mm. of know, like something's up with this yeah. kid. It's a little, it's a little more than what um, I'm noticing the other yeah. kids. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. certainly if they're having panic attacks and you know needing yeah. to right. go home, then that's a yeah, big right. deal. But can, can yeah. I just follow up on that? Because I do think like you have this sense, right? Like all is not well. Some mm-hmm. something is not right here. But but I've also talked to parents and teachers who so they notice that. And so they try to they make an overture to the student like, like is everything okay or is that, and and the students won't talk yeah and mm-hmm. there's there's it can be hard as teachers or parents because it's like oh I just want to talk but they won't talk or they how how do we get our children to talk to us yeah. I, I don't like because I I think that's a really hard thing actually yeah. and and I feel that I can feel that as a dad sometimes well, like if my daughter's not talking to me, then I must be doing something wrong, or mm-hmm. and I want to help, but I, but now what do I do? So, any encouragement, examples, or advice on like how do we open up those communication yeah. pathways with our kids? Yeah, I mean, developmentally, when you're talking about teenagers, it's pretty normal that they kind of push you away and sure. would actually rather talk to their friends than you. And I would, I, if I had an encouragement, I'd say don't take that personally. Mm-hmm. They're really, you know, trying to use other resources, which in the long run is good. We right. don't want them to call us when they're 28 and, you know, sad. Like, they need right. to find, <laughs> you know, yeah. I guess we Thank do, you. maybe. Yeah. Maybe we yeah. do a little bit. As moms, yeah. I still kind of secretly want that. But but in the long run, we want them to be able to We want to them adapt. also to have other people. Right, right, yeah. right. So, I mean, it's okay. But, you know, you said you asked. So in terms of the question, I don't think I would ask a question. I would just tell them what I notice. So I would say I noticed um, you seem a little down today or I noticed that um, you're an extra sleepy today. So I would just say what I notice instead of asking questions. Because, you know, when you ask questions, especially if it's closed, they're going to say, good, fine, fine. yes, no. They're just going to do that, right? (laughs) So if you're going to ask a question, which sometimes is appropriate, then you can say, use an open question. So, you know, what's going on today with you? Or, you know, how are things going? But like, if you say, is something wrong? They'll just say yeah. no. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, so, fine. I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. I'm fine. Yeah. And with that, I really like um, scaling questions. So yeah. on a scale of 1 to 10, and you could mm. do this for your whole class. You could do it just for this yeah. kid. But right. 10 being, this is the best day ever. We're going on vacation tomorrow. You know, um, zero is we're having our 75th snow day, and yeah. my mom is really crabby. Right? <laughs> so, yeah. so sort of check in. <laughs> right, right, right. Yep. And then they have to give you a number. Yeah. So I like that a lot okay. because. Because then they just have to give you something, yeah. Yeah. you know. And then if you, you say, I'm a five today, then you can say, you know, what would what could we do to make it a seven or eight? How could we get that number up yeah. for you? Yeah. And, and, then that, and then all of a sudden they're describing behaviors or situations that might improve their mood. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and so I like those tangible yeah. aspects, yeah. 
Tara, you come talk to my education students every year. You have for a while. And you often talk about when I'm trying to get my senior education students ready to student teach and go out into the world, we talk a lot about what kinds of students will you have to be aware of and what kinds of things will you need to know. And you use the term kids from hard places. Can you talk about that a little bit and maybe what um, what advice you give to my students for mm-hmm. for teaching and serving those students? Yeah, Kids from Hard Places was really coined by Dr. Karen Purvis, who is the Director of Child Development at Texas Christian University. I just highly admire her. She's now passed away, but has done just a beautiful job of of getting in the trenches, doing research with kids and trauma, uh, foster care, and things like that. And so I always give her credit from Mm -hmm. from that phrase, but it is a beautiful way to describe just the situations that some kids are at. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and you had asked about them, about what we can do. I mean, if you're in a classroom setting and even in our homes, what I uh, appreciate and think is the, one of the biggest factors of resilience for kids and relationships is, is really empathy. Mm-hmm. Uh, when kids and relationships and people are able to have empathy for others and can see themselves and others, um, they seems like their relationships go better. Yeah. Um, they can reciprocate affection in appropriate ways. They can receive affection, right. which are all signs of a secure attachment and just really, you know, um, healthy, com- yeah. you know, connected we just, living. We just had a situation with my seven-year-old, and we were putting him to bed, and he was fretting over something. And Jason, my husband, came down and told him a childhood story that mm-hmm. he had gone through a nearly identical. It was like a switch. Mm-hmm. Right? That yeah. empathy. Empathy. Yeah. Right? That's mm-hmm. really powerful. Yeah. So anytime you can create a culture of empathy mm-hmm. in the environment that you're leading, I think is just so wonderful to yeah. to lay the groundwork for ongoing discussion about hard things, about yeah. hard situations. Kids are less judgmental. Um, they're less hurtful with mm-hmm. their words. They're more forgiving. Um, they express themselves more appropriately. And so... I mean, that's mostly anecdotally, but empathy is a soft skill. It's an emotional intelligence, Mm -hmm. you know, dimension that can really be improved Mm -hmm. with training, you know. So so when we focus on that, so when, yeah, I talk to your students, I say, just have empathy for your kids. Teach them to have empathy for each other. And there's all kinds of activities you can do for that. Have them watch a movie, ask them what they, what those people think or feel in that movie or in that clip. I talk about Name It to Tame It. Um, that is Dr. Daniel Siegel. He wrote a book with um, Tina Payne Bryson. It's called The Whole Brain Child. I really recommend that book because he does a really good job of giving very concrete um, indicators of how we help kids become integrated in their brain. And mm-hmm. one of them is when we're overwhelmed with um, the emotions in our brain and, and just kind of flooded by them, one of the things we can do is integrate language in that time or teach our brain to make that connection between what we call the downstairs brain of our emotion and the upstairs mm-hmm. brain of our prefrontal cortex. And when that integration happens, we become more regulated. And so there's activities where you can, you know, called name it to tame it, helping them tell their story. Um, you'll see this with kids who have experienced at least moderate levels of adversity if they can get through it without becoming really dysregulated is if they can tell their story in a narrative sense mm-hmm. um, or in a safe place that a lot of times the story loses, the, the, the difficult story really loses its power yeah. um, because we've now put words to that 
that difficult experience. So I really love that, um, you know, body-based activities, anything they can do to get their body moving, get in touch with their body. Kids are so funny with, you know, and teens. They think they know their bodies, but they don't. They're they're just really (laughs) disconnected from, you know, tactile experiences. Um, And so anything you can do to Mm -hmm. remind them that, um, yeah, that that their body and mind are connected is a really yeah. powerful experience. I think so. I, I just think that's a really good reminder, even even for me as an adult. You know, we say kids and teens, but mm-hmm. right, how often it is that I'm like walking around with a scowl on my face, and my wife or my daughter will say, "Why are you mad?" I'm like, "I'm not mad." I'm like, "Oh wait, I am mad." And <laughs> like, and like, it's connected. It's totally. all there, right? Yeah. And and I don't always realize it. It's mm-hmm. just it's funny. So I appreciate yeah. you just naming yeah. uh, that piece yeah, of it good. too. Uh, what what are you? Say, like, for, for parents who maybe say, I think there's something up with my kid, and I don't know what to do with mm-hmm. them. What, what would be, like, a first step for a parent in a situation like that? Yeah, I mean, we talked about maybe some of the questions to ask or not to ask, but I think I would start to ask other people, mm-hmm. <laughs> too. Mm-hmm. Um, because if a problem is what we would call clinically significant, mm-hmm. um, it would start to interfere with other, other parts of their lives, too. Yeah. Um, and so I think I would start asking other people that interact mm-hmm. with them regularly and see if they're noticing any changes mm-hmm. or anything that's different. Whether you're noticing this at home and now you're wondering if it's happening at school or vice versa, mm-hmm. you know, if they have coaches or, you know, mentors or peers if you notice any changes or things that are going on. So, I mean, largely I would say if it's a parenting situation, most parents are pretty intuitive, like something's up here, Mm. and they're just putting on a really good face for everyone else. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I think writing is cool. You had talked about strategies. Mm -hmm. This could be done too, but interactive journaling, I really like, you know, if you want kids to open up or teens to open up. Mm You know, start to write to them, say, I understand you maybe don't have the words to talk to me. I'm just going to tell you how much I love you. If um, This is if you're, it's your child. <laughs> well, I mean, if, if it's your student and you really do love them, that works too. Right? Yeah, right. you, but, you know, and you could write to them and put it yeah. on their bed and, and see if they'll write back. And just, you know, even if it's one or two lines, I would call that a success. But, um but, yeah, that's the phrase we use in, in clinical practice is mm-hmm. clinically significant. So is this something that's just really bothering this kid? Is it kind of like normal-ish for kids to do this? Um, or is this over the top and mm. do we need help? And so, you know, when in doubt, you may mm. go get an assessment and have right. them go talk to someone, a licensed professional, and say, you know what, this is. And they have a pretty good gauge because they talk to people all day long. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so yeah. they could, you could bring your child in and they could say, uh, no, she's fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and you'd be like, all right, good. I'll just keep yeah. interactive journaling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. So, so, I mean, I would just say if you uh, intuitively, right. Yeah. Like if you think that it is above the top, just take them in, get an assessment and, and a provider can help make yeah. recommendations yeah. and that's totally okay. And you know what, if they don't need treatment when they're adults, someday if they do like, yeah, I saw a therapist once, my mom drug me there and yeah. <laughs> had to go. Yeah. But, but maybe when they're 35 and they need, you know, some therapy, they won't be so scared and that yeah. had its right. Purpose too, right? Right. Uh, yes, so, absolutely. Yeah. Hey, Tara, what, if I think about words like uh, you know mental health, anxiety, um, what as adults do we need to know about young people? Or like, what what don't we understand? Or what assumptions should we stop making? Like, it feels like I just sometimes want to lump all young people together, and mm-hmm. or I just think about mental health a certain way. Or if you just didn't do that, you'd be fine. Like. Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes as adults, I think we miss the mark a bit. So it's like, what do we need to know that maybe we don't know about kids who struggle or about mental health and anxiety? 
Yeah, I mean, I think our logical brain wants to say, if this happens, or this is why. We want to say, this is why this happened. We had a car accident, and now we have symptoms, right? So Mm -hmm. that one's pretty easy. But a lot of times when, you know, teens have different problems, parents are really eager to be like, why did this happen? And then they have to go through their own, like, did I do this? (laughs) You know? But in reality, life is just so incredibly layered. Kids are predisposed genetically um, you know, to risks of mental health and mood disorders and, and even trauma has been shown to epigenetics to express yeah. itself differently through genes. And so, um, I mean, so we have the unknown aspect, but what I would say to that is that everybody's perception of experiences is so, so, so different. You know, I, I could fall off, or I know the difference of my kids. My four-year-old would fall off her bike and she would bite her lip until it didn't hurt anymore, and she would get back on that bike, and she would go. That's what she would do. Mm. Um, my se- my now seven year old, when he did that, like it it was the end. I'm done with this. <laughs> yeah. I'm not riding bike ever again. Yeah, sure. I'm bad at riding bike. Yeah. Mom doesn't help me enough. Like it was the whole yeah. thing, right? Yeah. And it was all about the perception of themselves, the perception of the world. Right. And that is so, so layered and nuanced. Mm-hmm. And so that should really give us all empathy for, yeah, my parents were divorced. I got through it. But that doesn't mean this little buddy who is going through that isn't absolutely, you know, taken off the rails because of it. Because he is just so broken mm-hmm. by his perception of why it happened or his his sense of responsibility in the matter. We just don't know all of those thoughts mm-hmm. and yeah. and attributed beliefs about it. And so, so yeah, I mean, I, I think it's good to want to understand the origin and the manifestations of the symptoms. But, but we're so different and we're created so yeah beautifully and wonderfully yet so complex it's really hard to really truly understand Terry you work with a lot of young people what do you love about young people yeah, I think that they're young. <laughs> that they keep me young. I feel like I remember that time well. Yeah. I remember the important people in my life that came alongside me mm-hmm. and undoubtedly pointed me into the, the important directions my life took. And so so it's a, in a way, it, it sounds cheesy, but to give back to that overall mm-hmm. cause in my own mm-hmm. life. Um but they're they're smart and they're they resilient and they teach me stuff you know all the times and even in my clinical work I still prefer mm-hmm. young people I think they're just more well they're fu- they're just funnier sometimes <laughs> sometimes they're just more vulnerable yeah. they don't have much to lose yeah. and so they'll just tell right. you as it is um, and and I like that about them. So, yeah, they're awesome. they're a neat group. You know, as a parent, sometimes do I always like my kids? No, I mean sometimes <laughs> they're kind of annoying. But it's hard, man. <laughs> you know, and, and with that, I can't remember what I was thinking when you were asking one of the questions. But I just love too that I get to walk alongside other people's kids mm-hmm. because other people are doing that for my kids. Right. And when I think about people's stories, when I heard them in the clinical setting. These people would go two routes during this young adulthood life. They would say, I went this direction or I went this direction. And it was, it largely went this positive direction because of other people outside of their family yeah. mm-hmm. who took an interest in them, who mentored them and guided them. 
And so I'm really trusting that, God, I'll take care of everybody else's kids if you right. help other people take care of mine right. when they're sick of me. Yeah. You know, that's and, covenantal, right? <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. Uh, right, is. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so that's a beautiful, com- you know, picture of community Absolutely. too that I hope continues. That is beautiful. Terry, can, can you, like I said, I looked through your website. I found it compelling. You, you're pretty authentic and vulnerable and sharing a bit of your story there. Can you, can you just share a little bit more about your website um, and why people might contact you, whether it's individuals or communities? Just, yeah, I just want to give you, because I know you do important work, but yeah, can you just share a little bit, share a little bit about that and, yeah. Yeah, I think I kind of started it just to have a place to be creative, um, mm. to share some of my passion, some of my, you know, writing big things that would mm-hmm. come up and I'd want to write and I just wanted a place for it. And so um, that's what I what I started it for and really um, wanted people to have access to, yeah, just a point of contact if they needed a, somewhere to go. Um, so, yeah, I've created some online, you know, courses or, or at least educational training spots for trauma. And I started one for coaching because I love sports and I love what sports do. Um, and then hope to do a sexual abuse um, education for parents so that or, or caregivers or teachers if they have children they're working with that have been abused. So, yeah, um, I love I still do some private pay clinical yeah. work virtually. And that keeps me sharp, um, you know, helps oh, yeah. me remember yeah. Um, yeah, why I love this work and yeah. keeps me on the most current, you know, yeah. evidence-based practices. And yeah, I'm really excited to try to offer some new things that I don't think everybody gets to do when you're in like an outpatient clinic because you're bound by insurance and, yeah. right. you know, all of the bylaws of your nonprofit. And, and so I'm just like, well, what could I do with this? You know, and yeah. so I'm really excited to try neurofeedback remotely and I just love yeah. to yeah, try things that God offers to open those doors. And, um, yeah, I don't really have an agenda. Just hope people mm-hmm. are helped and open to where God leads that. So Yeah, we just want to encourage our listeners. Uh, Tara is an amazing resource. So whether it's speaking to your students, whether it's speaking to your staff or faculty or community groups to reach out to her, mm-hmm. um, you can hear from the last half an hour of our time with her how blessed we are to be able to yeah, access her as a resource. And I just love that idea of... of you get to take care of other people's kids. I, I felt that as a parent when you said that. It just It made me reflect on my own four daughters of just being like, yeah, thank God that there's other people to because mm-hmm. it is oh, yeah. hard, hard it work. Is. So yeah. thanks for that. Friends, we know that your time is valuable. We want to thank you for joining us today for another Hallway Conversation. Whether it is this day, this week, this month, or this school year, we hope the Lord gives you what you stand in need of. And we want to send you from here with this blessing. So to our listeners, may the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face. The rains fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. Have a good week, everybody, and thanks for listening. This podcast was literally dreamed up during one of our actual Hallway Conversations. Our music is by Ethan Mulder. Hallway Conversations is created and produced by Matt Beamers, Abby DeGroat, and Dave Mulder. Hey, we have a favor to ask of you. Would you be willing to rate this podcast or write a review in your podcast app? Or if you found this conversation interesting or helpful, would you consider sharing it on your social media? Those things really do help podcasters out, and we would be so, so grateful. Thanks for listening, friends. We'll talk about Terry's dominance as a volleyball player at Western Christian. That's what this yeah, is really that's about. That's what this is <laughs> really about. I was there. <laughs> you were there. I was there. I saw it happen. She was your, you Do you know that we are one year apart in high school? Mm-hmm. We played both the basketball together. Really? Mm-hmm. Golf? Do you no, play? I didn't go. <laughs>
Heidi's an amazing golfer. She is an amazing She's golfer. She's the president of the Moms Golf Association. You guys got some nice rituals. You're yeah. awesome. There's a few of those. That was awesome. Thanks, someone can do my awesome. ring. No, Sorry about my email chime. I apologize. No, that's all right. That was unbelievable. I just can't believe that. All right, good job, everybody. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. Thanks, Thanks for, for coming. chatting. Yeah.